Amen. Well, if you would go ahead and turn in your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. We are going through our series through the book of Luke, and we're in a section called Luke, uh, the friend of sinners. Jesus, the friend of sinners. And if you're familiar with the book of Luke, in chapter 6 here, this is the uh, Sermon on the Mount version in Luke, except for it's on a plane, it's on a level place. And so we're going to try to cover Jesus's whole sermon in one sermon. So pray for me. Um, but really my prayer is even as I hear, as we hear God's word, as I read God's word this morning, I'm praying that we would put ourselves out there on the plane, that we would put ourselves out there with the crowds, with the disciples. And then as we hear these words being read, that we, by the power of the spirit, would hear Jesus himself speaking to us. It says this in verse 12 of chapter 6. In these days he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued to pr in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot. And Judas, the son of James, and Judas, the Iscariot, who became a traitor. And he came down with them, and he stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch him. For power came out from him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that you? For, for even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners. To get back the same amount. But love your enemies 
and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will not be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log that is in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. For no good tree bears good fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit, for figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And not do what I tell you. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood rose, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us by the power of your Spirit. That, Lord, your people, all the brothers and sisters who are here, all, all that are listening today, the Lord, that we would hear a greater word than the word I'm going to speak. That we would hear a greater sermon than the word, words that I'm going to speak. Lord, that, that we would hear the very voice of Jesus calling us. The very voice of Jesus coming to turn our lives upside down, turning our worlds upside down so that we might be a different kind of disciple, so that we might be holy and distinct and set apart, that we might love differently, that we might judge differently, that we might look differently than the world around us for your great glory and for our joy. So, Lord, would you help us be the kind of disciples that joyfully serve, joyfully look different for our King. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What would it take for you to turn the world upside down? It's not a small task, right? What would it take for you to turn the world upside down? What would you do... If you were going to radically change the world that we live in, 
Would you need to be the president of the United States to do that? Would, maybe you would need to make a viral video that would go viral on YouTube or on TikTok. You know, that could make an impact. Maybe the best route would be to build a big company like Apple or Amazon and take the world by storm that way. Or maybe it would be to organize a march, to hold a march. Maybe that would accomplish something to, to change the world. Or maybe you need to pass a new law to get some new legislation through. Or, or maybe produce an amazing, inspiring documentary that would move people to change. Maybe the world we live in today, maybe you're thinking, the, the only thing I'd really need is to get my hands on some nuclear weapons. Maybe that's what people are, are thinking. What, what, would you, what would it take for you to turn the world upside down? Well, Jesus shows us what it takes. He, he teaches us what it takes in this sermon this morning. Jesus doesn't need to start a, a, a marketing campaign for, for a new kingdom that's coming to town. Jesus doesn't have to start a marketing campaign or take out some Facebook ads to make moves. No, Jesus starts with people. Jesus starts in the hearts of people. Jesus wants to transform the hearts of his disciples, that me and you, that we would look different. And when our worlds would be turned upside down, that through us, the world would be turned upside down. See, Jesus doesn't need a church to be relevant in this world we live in. No, Jesus wants to renew our hearts this morning. Jesus doesn't need us to look like the world, to attract the world. No, Jesus wants us to be different. Jesus is saying in this sermon that it's our, it's our church, the church being different, that makes a difference in the world. It's his disciples being different that makes a difference in the world. It's not likeness to the world that turns the world upside down. It's our holiness. It's our distinctness. It's our set-apartness that we would love differently, that we would judge differently, that we would look completely different than the world around us. See, when we open up this story and we look at this passage, we see all kinds of people going out to Jesus. It says that there are crowds, multitudes of people going out to Jesus. And we see that they're coming to see a good show. They're coming that they might hear his words, that they might watch all his miracles. But, but in the midst of those who just come out to hear and who come to, to be healed and come to touch him, to receive his power, those who just want to be entertained, Luke says this in verse 20. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Jesus has a word for his disciples today. Jesus has a word for his people today. Jesus is saying there's something different about you, church. There should be something different between the crowds and you who are disciples of Jesus. There's something different about being part of the crowd and being a disciple who's denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following him. 
It's something different than merely hearing his words. But being the man who builds your house upon them, your life upon them. Doing his words, obeying his words. See, the last thing that, that Jesus needs in Bowling Green, Kentucky is a church that has the best music in town or the most funny or entertaining preacher, the, the best live stream online. We, we don't need the greatest show in town. More than anything, Jesus wants his disciples to be different. He wants his people to be holy. He wants Christ's fellowship to be set apart. Because it's us being different that makes a difference in the world. Brothers and sisters, Jesus aims to change this world by first turning your world upside down. Turning your world upside down so that we would live in this upside down kingdom for a king, King Jesus Christ. So when we read this story, when we hear this sermon, the first thing that we see in this passage is that Jesus came to turn blessing upside down. He came to turn blessing upside down. Jesus wants us to think differently about what it means to be blessed, what it looks like to be really happy. He wants our hearts to go after radically different things than this world around us goes after. He wants our our lives to go in a whole different direction than the world. Listen to what one commentator says. He says this about the upside downness of Jesus. He says, These beatitudes and woes make a mockery of the world's values. Make a mockery of the world's values. In fact, they exalt what the world despises and they reject what the world admires. That's the upside downness of the kingdom. They, they exalt what the world despises. They reject what the world admires. I remember one time going down the, the road and seeing like a Mercedes Benz with a license plate that said blessed on it. Maybe you've seen a nice car like this. I've seen another one that says favor. Like what it means to have favor it's not about being in Christ. It's being in a BMW. That's really what favor is. And, and we can look at those things and sometimes, sometimes say, these people are clearly missing what it means to be happy, missing what it means to be blessed. They're totally missing it. But if we're not careful, we can. it doesn't take long to live in this world where even the people in this room, even my own heart, can be seduced by this world doesn't take long before we start seeking comfort in the false and the fake comforts that this world wants to offer us. doesn't take long before we try to find our security in the insecure stuff that this world's trying to sell us. We start believing, if I can get more and more of this world, if we can have this desire to, to grab for more, more and more of this world, it'll equal more and more happiness. But when we listen to this world, when we, when, we buy, when we buy into the lies, it's not happiness that we're left with at the end. It's emptiness. It's emptiness. We're left empty-hearted and empty-handed by all that we've tried to find comfort and security in. And Jesus wants to turn his disciples' world upside down. He wants to turn your world upside down this morning. And he does it by starting this way. Blessed are you 
Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the poor. Those who are spiritually bankrupt without me. Those who know that they're desperate. Those those who see themselves as lowly. Those who know that they're needy. He says, if that's you, then yours is the kingdom. Yours is the kingdom. All, you, you get to inherit all the unsearchable riches of Jesus for those who are broken and needy and lowly and desperate. Blessed are the poor. And then he says this, blessed are you who, who are hungry now. Blessed are those who are, who are hungry. We don't think of blessing being hungry, but it's hungering, having a, a longing, a thirsting for a righteousness. For a righteousness that comes in, in Christ, to Christ alone. He says, if that's you, if you're hungering and thirsting, and you're hungering and thirsting for Christ, and you find Christ, he says, you're going to be satisfied forever in Jesus. Or blessed are you when you weep now. When you're broken and mourning over your sin. When, when you're broken over your rebellion. When you're broken over the injustice that you see in this world. Jesus says, you get to get the last laugh in Jesus. I was thinking about that this week, that that heaven is going to be like full of laughter. When you read this, it's going to be full of laughter. Blessed are those who weep now. Why? Because laughter is going to last for eternity. Sorrow might last through the night, but joy, the psalmist says, comes in the morning and, and laughter for all eternity. If if that's not upside down enough for Jesus to say, it's a blessing for you to know you're poor. It's a blessing for you to hunger. It's a blessing for you to weep. Look what he says next. Jesus shocks us in verse 22 because he kind of ratchets it up and he says, blessed are you when people hate you. Man, this is a really pick-me-up sermon. This is a good motivational sermon. Blessed are people, blessed are you when people hate you. When they exclude you. When when they revile you and spurn your name as evil on the account of the Son of Man. When you woke up this morning, that's not how you painted a picture of the good life. That's not how we often picture the pursuit of happiness. When we're pursuing to be happy and fulfilled and satisfied in this life, to be hated, to be excluded, to be reviled, to be spurned. But the key is, the blessing is found in to be counted with Christ. To to get to suffer with your Savior on account of His name is where the blessing comes Jesus says when that day comes, when that day of suffering comes, when that day comes, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. That takes my my mind and my heart to the disciples in Acts chapter 5. You know the story where Peter and the apostles were told to be quiet. They're brought before the council for preaching about Jesus, and they're beaten, and they're threatened, and they're told, hey, you better leave here, and you better never say the name of Jesus again. And what do they do after being beaten? 
after being threatened. In the words of Jesus, after being hated and excluded and reviled and spurned, what did they do on that day? Well, Acts 5 says, Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Rejoicing that they were able to suffer for the sake of the name. I wish I had video footage of Jerusalem of them kicking their heels, leaping for joy in Jerusalem because they got to be counted with Jesus. That's what it means to be blessed. See, when you see that you are spiritually bankrupt in your sin, and then you see that you, you're hungering and thirsting after a righteousness outside of yourself, and you're weeping for a rescue from all your sin, from all your rebellion, and then you get to turn and you see Jesus, the only Savior for your poor heart, for your hungry heart, for your broken heart that's mourning and weeping for your Savior, when you get to see Jesus, that's called blessing. That's what it means to be happy, to see Jesus. And then to top it all off, to not only see Jesus, but to be counted worthy to suffer for Jesus. That's the bonus blessing of being in Christ and serving Christ. There's nothing in this world that can make you more rich or more satisfied or more full of laughter than being in Christ. That probably sounds a little strange to us, right? Full of laughter, but I've been praying this week. I've been praying, Lord, would your spirit, would it give us a holy happiness, a heavenly laughter in Jesus today, experiencing the real blessed life of being in Christ. But then notice, Jesus flips it in verse 24. He flips it in verse 24 and he says, woe to you. We hear that, that seems heavy, that seems weighty, and, and it is, but, but he's not necessarily saying, I'm calling down a curse on these people. He's not calling down a curse. No, it's more like Jesus is saying, how sad is this? How tragic? How terrible? Jesus is saying, woe to those who are rich now. Who, who feel secure in this world. Because that false sense of security is not going to last forever. Woe to those who are full now, who feel satisfied here. Because he says, one day you're going to be hungry. And trust me, you're going to be empty. And woe to those who laugh now. Those who are so unconcerned and so flippant about eternity, because one day you'll be weeping forever if you don't repent and trust in Jesus. See, the saddest place the most tragic place that you can be today is to be comfortable in this world and unconcerned about eternity. That's the saddest place that you could find yourself today, is being comfortable in this world and unconcerned about eternity. Because you know what Jesus says to the church at Laodicea, Laodicea in Revelation? Do you, do you know how he warns that church 
in Revelation 3, he says this, For you say, I am rich, and I've prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Could that be you this morning? I'm rich. I don't need anything. I'm good. I'm comfortable. I'm secure. I've got all I need. I'm satisfied. Not realizing that you're poor, that you're needy, that you're desperate. So I ask you this morning, do you see yourself poor? Do you see yourself spiritually bankrupt without Jesus? Do you hunger and thirst for a righteousness that you cannot produce and save yourself, but a righteousness that comes from Jesus alone? Are you desperate? Are you needy for him? Do you mourn and weep for Jesus? Or are you comfortable? Are you comfortable in this world? Do you feel satisfied here? Do you feel like you're okay? Do you feel like I don't really need anything? Jesus doesn't feel like a need. He's nice. He just doesn't feel like a need. What would it do for a world, for a for a church to be filled with people that just aren't comfortable here anymore. But who are poor and hungry, who thirst, who need, who are needy and who love to be counted with Christ. Jesus came to turn your blessing upside down. What, you, what it means to be blessed and happy. Second thing we see, though, is that Jesus came to turn love upside down. Jesus says it's It's extremely to love. He says in verse 32, he says it's extremely to love people when they're going to love you in return, right? Like when you know there's a payoff through giving something, someone something, it's it's easy to do good to someone if if they're going to do good to you. It's it's easy to lend money if you're going to get it back. But Jesus calls us to a radically different love. Look at verse 27. Listen, Listen to these shocking words. This, this should be shocking because to a Jewish believer, it was patriotic to hate people that weren't Jews. And then Jesus says this, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. That's a radical way of loving an upside-down way of loving different than all the world around us, than different than your co-workers and your neighbors and those who don't have Jesus. What if instead of harboring hatred towards those who wronged you, like the longing of your heart was to turn and do good to them? Like that was your first impulse. What if instead of cursing someone or wanting the worst for them, you wanted God to bless them? What if the Ukrainian Christian, instead of shaking his fist in the sky, his first impulse was to fall on his face and to pray for the Russians? You know, it's really hard to hate someone when you're praying for them. It's really hard to hate someone when you're praying for them. It's amazing to think that prayer is radical love. Because when everything in your heart doesn't want to pray and your heart doesn't want to go towards them, you don't want to love them, you want to hold back love and harbor hate, Jesus says, I'm calling you to radically love differently. That's why Jesus gives these radical examples in our passage 
on verse 29, he says this, if someone slaps you on the cheek, which is like the, the worst insult, I'm seeing these like Looney Tune cartoons where they take off the glove and they like slap them around with the glove, you know, all of a sudden. Nobody else watched Looney Tunes. Okay, that's fine. It's like the ultimate sign of, of disrespect, right? And Jesus says, well, just give them the other cheek. If someone takes your cloak, give them your tunic too. The, the cloak was actually protected by law. So, so no one could ask for it. No one could touch it. No one could take it. And Jesus says, no, let them take it. And then go ahead and give them your tunic too. This upside down, above and beyond love. If someone begs from you, give it to them freely. If they take, don't demand it back. You know, as I, as I was thinking about this passage, there's all these like, caveats, these uh, exceptions that I wanted to give you. So like, but now, now if you're at Kroger and somebody asks you for money, or, or maybe you see somebody on the corner, then that's not talking about this. But I think Jesus is saying, no, no, you should be undone and uncomfortable and your world should be upside down and giving in ways that you really, your heart really doesn't want to. So we shouldn't have hearts that are always looking for an exception. We should have hearts that are always looking to radically love people around us. Because this kind of love is not natural to anybody in here. It's not natural for any of us. It's natural for us to want to be selfish, right? It's natural for us to take our cloak, to, to take the things that are ours and say, no, this is mine and you have no rights to it. But this is what sin does. Sin turns us in on ourselves. It, sin by nature is self-seeking. Loving God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. Loving my neighbor as myself. Loving my enemy. These are the furthest thing than, than what's natural for our hearts. No, loving me is natural. Loving yourself is natural for you. It's my nature to, to demand things my way, to be selfish with my things, to protect myself, to advance my agenda, to seek what I want above what you want. Everybody else wants everything else to seek me. My heart screams mine, and your heart screams mine. But this cheek-turning, coat-giving, others-first love comes only from a heart that's been turned upside down. It comes from a heart where the Holy Spirit has worked deep in your heart to loosen your grip on everything that you think is mine. It loosens your grip from saying my agenda and my wants and my reputation, my possessions. Listen, brothers and sisters, if, if deep within your heart is a desire to always be right, to always be on top, to never be taken advantage of, to never be last, to always get your way, to always get even. You'll never love like Jesus calls you to love. But if you repent of your selfishness, if, if you let Jesus come and wreck your heart, wreck and turn upside down your me-centered kingdom, because let's be honest, it's our me-centered kingdom that's ruining all our lives right now. 
I don't have to be in your bedroom last night to hear you and your wife arguing. I don't have to be in your kitchen as you yelled at your kid trying to go to church today. I don't have to be at your workplace and know what was in your heart when you're harboring and bitter, being bitter towards your coworker to know that it's your me-centeredness that's wreaking havoc on your life right now. And Jesus wants to turn it upside down. It's not about me. But Jesus has called me to radically love. The word that Jesus used here, Jesus here, it's agape love. Jesus is calling his brothers and sisters, he's calling his children to agape love in his kingdom. What is agape love? Well, it's not natural affection that you have for someone. It's not phileo love. It's not this type of love that's just friendship love. It's also not romantic love. No, agape love is this. One commentator, Leon Leon Morris, says this. Agape love is love even of the unlovely. Love which is not drawn out by the merit in the beloved, but which proceeds from the fact that the lover chooses to be a loving person. Another word for this would just be, this is gospel love. This is unconditional love for the unlovely and the undeserving. This is how Jesus loved every sinner in here. Every single one of us. If you remember on the cross, if you remember when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he'd been beaten, he'd been bruised, he'd been mocked, he'd been ridiculed. And over his head was this sign that said, King of the Jews. He's being shamefully humiliated in front of everybody. So if you were to put yourself there in Jesus' sandals, put yourself there in Jesus, put yourself there with his crown of thorns on your head, put yourself there naked, humiliated, abused, publicly shamed before all people. I don't know about you, but it would be so easy for hatred to rise up in my heart. It would be so easy for me to want to get even in that moment, for me to want to call down legions of angels. It'd be so easy for me to want to hold back love because that's my heart. That's how selfish I am. But what does Jesus say hanging on the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus on the cross does good to those who hate him. Blesses those who curses him. Prays for those who abuse him. Jesus on the cross literally turns the world upside down by doing what? By loving his enemies. By loving his enemies. Listen, God didn't love you because you were lovely. Love wasn't drawn out of the heart of God because you were worthy of his love. No, Jesus' agape love, Jesus' unconditional love proceeded from his loving heart to the most undeserving enemies like you and me. Have you received that radical love? Have you seen that 
unconditional love that comes from the heart of the Father to you that's undeserving, but it's because He loves you. This morning, if you would turn from your sin and trust in Jesus, you could know this love. Not a love that you deserve, but a love that's given because of the love of the Son. And so when we love with unconditional love like this, not because people deserve it, but because we've been loved, the world doesn't know what to do with that. Like literally, your coworker, your friend, your neighbor, your cousin, your great, great, greasy grandma, they don't know what to do with that. They literally don't know what to do with that. With the love that turns them upside down, agape love, Agape love that turns the world upside down. Not because they deserve it, but because you've been graced and you've been loved when you didn't deserve it. Finally, we see Jesus came to turn judgment upside down. Judge not might be the two most quoted words in the Bible, right? Think about it. Probably the two most quoted words in all the Bible. Judge not. To people who say, judge not, lest ye be judged, Paul Washer said, twist not scripture, lest ye be like Satan. Because Jesus is not saying, don't judge. Jesus is saying, be careful how you judge. Be slow how you judge. Because the measure by which you judge others, he says in verse 37, that same way is how you're going to be judged. And this is how Jesus is turning the world upside down because we live in a world that's quick to judge, right? That's quick to judge. That's quick to judge others. Just think about the cancel culture that we live in right now. The cancel culture that surrounds us, the toxic world that we live in and scroll through on our phones. This toxic cancel culture that says, hey, everyone has the right to their opinion as long as it doesn't disagree with my opinion." Because if you dare to disagree with my opinion, with me as the judge, you're going to get canceled. You're going to get blocked from my Facebook. In fact, you might even get exposed and fired before the day's over. But the church sometimes, sadly, is no different. We're, we're quick to judge. We're quick to condemn. We're so quick to keep a stone in our hand. Maybe you won't cancel a sister on social media, but, but maybe you've already written her off in your heart. Maybe you won't condemn a brother publicly, but, but you're never going to give him a chance again. Maybe you never say you hate anyone because you're a Christian and you don't hate people, but it's really hard for you to like them. It's really hard for you to love them more than you love yourself. It's really hard for you not to see yourself as better than them. Jesus uses a vivid image to drive home the danger of our judgmental hearts. Look at verse 42. He says this, How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? Jesus is using hyperbole. He's using this language to exaggerate, to illustrate how how you shouldn't be so quick to judge others. 
Jesus is exposing our hypocrisy as disciples. He's saying this, how are you so concerned with that little speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? And you got like a giant sequoia tree coming out your eye. Like literally, you have this giant oak tree coming out your eye, and yet you want to stop to judge others. The, the problem is that we're so gentle with ourselves and we're so harsh with everyone else. In your home, in your neighborhood, on your Instagram account, in your workplace, you're so you're so gentle with yourself and you're so harsh with others. And Jesus is saying, by the grace of God, we need to flip that. We need to walk by the power of the Spirit because the sad thing is that we have a, a PhD in everyone else's sin and we're just kindergartners when it comes to our own sin. A.W. Tozer said it this way, a Pharisee is hard on others and easy on himself. But a spiritual man is easy on others and hard on himself. The Apostle Paul said it this way, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Listen, if, you, if you're going to turn your world upside down, listen, it would turn your world upside down if you truly thought that you're the greatest sinner that you know. Would it not? It would turn your world upside down if you saw yourself as the greatest sinner that you know. If you saw yourself as a worse sinner than your spouse. If you saw yourself as more needy than your neighbor. If you saw, if you saw yourself more desperate than your daughter. If you saw yourself more undeserving grace than your greatest enemy. It would turn your world upside down. I mean, if Christ's fellowship was this way, if, if we saw ourselves this way, if, it, it would turn our city upside down. If Christ's fellowship, if we truly saw ourselves as the greatest sinners in our city this morning, like the most desperate people in our city this morning, the, the ones who need and long for Jesus more than anybody else in our city this morning, the greatest sinners who can't, can't, it's impossible for us to be quick to judge others because we're too busy seeing our own sin. We're too busy confessing our own sins, too busy being desperate for Jesus, and then too busy being surprised by his grace that he would give to us. It's like, we were, what if we were just sitting here, sorry, sorry, I didn't see you there. Sorry, I didn't see you sit down there. I was too busy seeing my sin. I was too busy seeing my sin, and then I saw Jesus. I was distracted by Jesus looking at his love and his grace for me, the greatest sinner. Wait, have you seen Jesus? Have you seen this Savior for your sin, for your greatest need? Has he saved you from your sins? It would turn the world upside down if if we see ourselves as the greatest sinner, the most desperate in need for Jesus, change the way you treat your wife, change the way you speak to your kids, change the way we live in this world, it would be radically different. 
I remember in closing hearing a, a powerful sermon when I was 18. And here's what the guy said. He said this, God wants to ruin your life. That's positive, isn't it? That's, that's, that's uplifting. God wants to ruin your life. And God in his grace, that's true of every one of us in here this morning. God wants to ruin your life. He wants to ruin what you think is real life. To ruin and to turn upside down how you really see blessing. So that you see blessing differently and see love differently. And you would judge others differently. He wants by the power of your, His Spirit to make you a good tree that bears good fruit, that, that's happy in Him, that treasures in Him, so that you love others differently. You love even your enemies that you judge differently. To be more than just a face in the crowd simply hearing His words, but to be a, a disciple who does them, who builds your life upon King Jesus for the glory of King Jesus and for the good of others even your greatest enemy let's pray together Lord we ask that you by the power of your spirit would work in each in each one of our hearts Lord that you would ruin our lives that you would ruin what we think is life that you would ruin this hope this trust this security and comfort that we try to find in sin, that we try to cling to in this world, Lord, that you would ruin that, that you would turn our worlds upside down by the power of our, the Spirit, Lord, so that we might see Jesus as better, so that we might cling to Jesus, that we might find our comfort and our hope and our longing in Jesus, Lord, so so, Lord, I pray that you would bless all of us here today, Lord, who see ourselves as hungry, as who see ourselves as poor and needy, who are longing for a Savior. Lord, would you find, help us find hope in Jesus so that we might love differently. We might love radically, even our greatest enemies, like you loved us. Lord, that we would love and, and judge and be patient with people around us because, Lord, you've been patient with us for the glory of your name and for, for the joy of your people. Lord, would you make us different? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.